Nora Speaks is a weekly podcast that tugs at the soul and consciousness of the Black community. With show topics such as youth empowerment, education, women's impact, and civic engagement, Nora Speaks challenges the listener to not only join the movement, but be the movement. On the show, you'll learn from insightful guests who have demonstrated capacity in these fields and more, and I'm your host, Nora Muhammad. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Nora Speaks podcast, and I am your host, Nora Muhammad, and it is a privilege to be with you again back for another week of conversation, and I hope that you've been enjoying some of the guests that I have uh, brought to the show, all of the guests that I brought to the show, um, you know, to have someone come on the show to share their insights and, and, and what they are doing to impact the community. That means very much to me. And so I'm grateful to the guests that I've had on the show. And I appreciate their time, their contribution, uh, not just to the Nora Speaks podcast, but also to their communities and to our communities and for the work that they're doing. And with this episode, I really want to just jump right in. I came across a very concerning story in the news regarding a 13-year-old black child, a, a boy, who had been bullied at his school. It's something that his mother, it is reported, she went to school officials to uh, discuss, to try to get something done about this. It's reported that he was uh, assaulted at school. It's reported that he had his inhaler taken by a football coach. Um, it's reported that he had been uh, struck in his genital area. Um, and the um, response to that violence was boys will be boys. Um, and it's interesting to hear a response like that, boys will be boys, when so much is being made and has been made in recent years about toxic masculinity. But that's another conversation for another time. But as it pertains to the mistreatment of this young child by his peers and the apparent failure of the school district to address the concerns, the failure of the school community to address the concerns of this mother, mother it is shocking um, and it is heart-wrenching. To make matters worse, this uh, young man was invited to a sleepover by his classmates and at this sleepover, it is reported, it is alleged, that he was forced to drink urine of one or many of his classmates or the young people who were there. And there's a video that also has been circulated of this incident of this young child made to drink a dark urine. Uh, it appears to be dark urine. There's um, a group of children sitting around in the circle surrounding him. It appears that the um, victim is um, reluctant, uh, sad by his posture. Um, and there are taunts that you can hear in the background and somebody is recording this. And apparently this video was shared with other uh, children at the school. How heartbreaking for it is uh, for a mother for a community, for those who love that child, how heartbreaking it is for a child to endure the kind of mistreatment and brutality that 
was rendered to this young man. And it is just simply sickening that uh, anyone would do this to a child. It's sickening that peers, children would do this to a child. You know, there's a question about the supervision at the house where this incident occurred and who was supervising and making sure that these children who were uh, there were safe. Um, But there's another part of this conversation that we must have. And that part that I want to have with you is about our responsibility to keep our children safe. And what I encourage you to do and what I encourage you to share with your friends and your family is to keep our children at home. Sleepovers have long been a dangerous place for children. I recall not long ago that there was a little girl who attended a sleepover and in the morning the little girl was missing and there was a search for her. And as it turns out, as the story came out, as the truth came out, there was a young man at the house where this sleepover was held who assaulted this young lady and hid her body. And we don't know of any reports of sexual violence that happened at the sleepover, but the possibility is there. The possibility is there for that or any other sleepover. And abuse and victimization doesn't just happen to girls, and this is something that we know well as well. And so what I want to encourage you and remind you is to keep our babies at home where we have control over what's happening in the household. I would suspect that the parents of the young person who hosted the sleepover, certainly, I would hope, didn't intend or encourage the behavior that occurred, didn't participate. However, because when a child is out of our households, we lose the ability to keep them safe, to control that environment. Our best efforts are to keep them home. That is best for our children. As much as our children want to go and spend time with their friends, we do so and they do so at great peril, at great risk. And once something traumatic has happened, we can't just wish it away. It's there now. And an incident such as what this young man experienced and others can stain a child, can rob a child of his or her innocence, creating additional issues with confidence and self-esteem. Now, in this case, we know that this young man was already being bullied um, by classmates, by other students at the school. And so I am not on this show to shame and blame this young man's mother. But what I'm here to do is to encourage you and to encourage you to share with your friends and your family that we must keep our children at home. And when I consider, you know, a a sleepover, something that should just be fun for children, we cannot assume, we can't take for granted that others are interested in keeping our children safe. We can't assume that others, uh, that other parents, one, are present and that they're monitoring what these children are doing. Um, 
And especially considering that this young child had already had some victimization by that uh, school community. Uh, So we have to, have to um, teach our children, disappoint our children, frustrate our children in our efforts to keep them safe. But we can also explain to them why, explain to them the risks that we don't want them to encounter, that we don't want uh, our children to have to live a lifetime to get over, to manage, to deal with. Not that people don't get over traumatic experiences, not that we don't recover from traumatic experiences. We do. Some do. But why create or allow the circumstances to occur in the first place? And there may be things that we just don't have control over. You know, we may not have control over the behavior of a football coach. We may not be able to control the uh, language or the attitude of teachers in classrooms or the behavior of other children in classrooms. But we certainly can control the environments that our children are in by keeping them at home, where we know for surety that the environment that we are fostering in our own homes is made to increase our children's comfort, safety, confidence, and self-esteem. And that would be your goal and that would be my goal. But we don't know what other people have in mind for their children or our children. And, um, you know, in consideration of this child, I hope that he and the family get justice and get the help that he needs and the help that the mother needs. Um, I can't imagine, uh, you know, the burden that must be on her heart, weighing heavy on her mind that this incident occurred. Um, but it shouldn't have. And, and, and we don't want this to happen again. And then, you know, just secondly, following up the conversation about the sleepover, even the schools, there has been a push um, for our children to be in back in schools, regardless of the risks of COVID-19. And, you know, it is best that our children are in a learning environment. It's really good for socialization. And schools should be a safe place, but all schools are not a safe place. And so as many talk about homeschooling and the necessity to give our children a high quality education that has themselves uh, in the central uh, curriculum or the, the central focus of the education. I encourage our people who listen to this podcast, we have to really get creative and consider how we can establish educational institutions where we are in control of the school environment, where we are in control of the learning environment, not just the curriculum. And we certainly want to be in control and have influence of the curriculum that our children are getting in the schools. But even the school environment, the attitude of the school, the atmosphere of the school, the culture of the school, Because many of our young people go to schools that don't have them central focus, that don't have their needs, their history, their experiences, the uniqueness, the the things that are attributed to them, attributed to them as the central focus. And so our children are often learning and being uh, embedded with the culture and appreciation of others and little to no appreciation of what's naturally theirs. 
So we have to be creative in thinking about how we can educate our children, establish educational institutions where we can educate our children. Um, I think about some teachers who have been retired, who have retired, uh, that can play a great role in this. And some may say, well, how can we open our own schools? How can we afford to open our schools? How can a, a, a teacher that works for the local board of education leave the school district, leave the pension, <laughs> leave the benefits to open an independent school, a private school, where children, our children, are taught and educated in a way that creates self-pride, self-confidence, and self-esteem, and a holistic view of education. How can we afford to do that? And so my response to you is how can we afford not to? Look at this one example of a mother who herself claims that she went to the school to share the concerns that she has, to talk about the abuse and the uh, assault that has happened to her son, to talk about the football coach taking the young man's inhaler. Um, there's uh, alleged allegations of racist and homophobic slurs and language targeting this young man. And so if a school is the only game in town, then parents feel like they don't have a choice and that they will keep working and keep putting pressure. And well, the school, the district should respond and they should respond appropriately. But what happens when they don't? What happens if, when they refuse because your child and your child's needs are not their priority? What do we do then? Do we continue sending our children to a school, to a school system that doesn't have their best interest in mind? Or do we say we have to sacrifice everything that we can so that we can raise our children in a school community that affirms who they are? At some point, we have to say enough is enough. And this is certainly an example of things going just too far. There are so many, quote, isolated incidents of our children being victimized, abused, neglected uh, in schools and in school and learning environments. And we say that they're isolated incidents, but they're, they're all over the country, and they're happening all over the country all of the time. So at some point, we have to say this is not an isolated situation. It appears that there is some systemic problem in the educational system as it pertains to the needs and meeting the needs of our children. So the challenge for us, okay, we can go to the Board of Education. Yes, we can go to the board meetings. Yes, we can go to the school. Yes, we can petition the superintendent. Yes, we can complain to the principal. Yes, we can write the guidance counselor. And when they don't respond in the way that we know we need them to, when they don't make changes in the way that we know they, we need them to, what are we going to do? Now, that is all putting aside a culture of hatred, of prejudice, of bias, right? So they can, the school can punish students for misdeeds. The school can punish a coach for misdeeds. The school can punish a teacher for misdeeds. But what about the culture of dislike? the culture of prejudice, the culture of hatred. We can't change a culture with a punishment. It's the same way we can't legislate love because we've passed a civil rights act. 
It, it doesn't work like that. We cannot use rules and laws to govern what's in the hearts and minds of people. And so I think that we waste a great deal of time and energy in trying to change the hearts and minds of others when we could change our own hearts and minds and create the will to do something for ourselves. And in this case, specifically, educate our own children. We say, how can we afford to do it? How can we afford not to? I think about historically when our four parents who didn't have schools and school systems created for them. But they would find they would find abandoned buses and create a classroom in an abandoned bus. Just think about that. Right. And so we can certainly, certainly come together, pooling our resources that we do have because we know that trillions of dollars pass through our communities. Right. So we can refrain from going to these stores and these salons where people don't like us and don't treat us well. We can refrain from going to restaurants where people don't like us and don't treat us well, right? We can refrain from the excess spending and use it to create institutions where we can have our children educated so that by the time they're ready to go off to college, they have a foundation of confidence, of self-esteem, of love of believing in themselves because they didn't have any experience where their teacher was denigrating. Their classmates teased them because we control the culture and the culture of the educational system is love. We can do better. We have to have to protect our children. We have to protect our children. Sleepovers, though they may be fun, they can also be a very dangerous place for our children to be. And When our children come home from sleepovers, they don't tell everything that happened at the sleepover. I remember I went to sleepovers as a child. And if you're asked about how did the sleepover go, if you're asked what happened at the sleepover, a child doesn't tell everything. And so what don't we know as parents? What aren't our children telling us? Because they, one, may have shame or blame for themselves. They may feel ugly or dirty because of what's happened to them. And maybe they just don't want to burden us. Maybe they don't want to make us unhappy. Maybe they don't want, our children don't want us to look at them differently. So they pretend like all is well. We have to be very careful. Our children are are our most prized possession. We have to be careful about whose hands we leave them in. So I want to encourage you and I want you to encourage your friends. Let's keep our children at home. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Nourish Speaks podcast. It's so great to have an opportunity to say a good word, a loving word to my people. And I look forward to another great conversation with you next week. Until next time, stay in peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Nourish Speaks podcast. Be on the lookout for a new episode coming at you fresh next week. And as always, if you want to learn more about me and the work that I do, visit my website, noramohammed.com. Or if you have a listener question, email me at info at You can also follow the Nora Speaks podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Nora Speaks Podcast. I'll be sure to include links in the show notes. If this show has value to you, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share it with family and friends. And be sure to check out previous episodes. And remember, don't just join the movement, be the movement.
stay in peace.